Hello, this is Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. And once again, I have another awesome guest today. Uh, super excited to uh, speak with Raquel Boris with Rock the Boat. Uh, it's exciting project she's on. It's close to my heart because I have a passion towards crushing the numbers with mental health that's going on right now. And I kind of be on the demand side advocacy where, where I think the kids are the, are the future. The kids are the answer. And that's where your heart is, Raquel. And that's where I followed you on LinkedIn, uh, where I meet most of my superhuman friends today. It seems like it's on LinkedIn. Uh, and you just have this amazing uh, aura about you that I think draws people to your story. And I know you're real passionate about mental health. Uh, and specifically with kids. So again, welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast. Uh, how are you today? I'm good. I've got my coffee here and my, <laughs> my breakfast. So good. <laughs> your egg white and fruit or whatever you're having. So yeah, my egg white bites. Yes. <laughs> but no, I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. So um, how long have you been on LinkedIn? I'm just curious. I, I'm fairly new to LinkedIn. Um, I basically had no social media presence until we went through our personal tragedy. And then I reached out kind of social media for, you know, for support, for friends, you know, I, I, I kind of felt like I was painting myself in a corner, you know, isolated and trying to take care of the family after Seth passed and LinkedIn and, and, and specifically LinkedIn really was a great place for me to hang out. Um, and I, I tend to follow people that are optimistic and positive, but in your case, I mean, what, what were your reasons why you dove into social media? Cause I know you have a great presence and how, how do you feel about um, uh, what you're getting out of social media right now? So for me, it was just kind of a fluke, um, if you will, to getting on LinkedIn because I had gotten off of Facebook. I hadn't been on it for about three, four years because I had gotten divorced. And the last thing I wanted to do was just, you know, deal with the Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> pictures of their travels and anniversaries. Yeah, like, and, oh, wait, yeah. I don't see any pictures of you and your <laughs> husband. Or a little What's more salt on? on the wound, right? <laughs> yeah, I just was, you know, I, I kind of was self-aware enough to know that it was just going to be toxic. Yeah. So I got off of <clears> Facebook, um, hadn't known about LinkedIn, but then got on Instagram, but Instagram was still in its infancy stages. And the only reason why I got on was because my son had got on and I knew that, you know, it was kind of like an, an up and coming platform just for pictures. And I just started getting emails. You know, I, I actually went into the corporate world for the first time in 2013. And so I'm getting these emails of like, join LinkedIn. I'm like, what is this LinkedIn right. thing? And after a while, I was like, you know what, if I'm not going to do Facebook and Instagram is just pictures and I'm trying to navigate the corporate world being mm -hmm. a single woman and, you know, not having had a career before I got married, I was like, all right, I guess this, this is what I should be doing. And when I got on there eight years ago, it was completely different than what it is now mm -hmm. where, you know, someone like yourself getting on there, you knew that you could meet like-minded people, build relationships. That's exactly why I got my best friend Nancy on there because she was experiencing the same thing that you were. You know, I need I need people that, you know, that I can really build strong, mm -hmm. like real relationships with. And some people might think, okay, but that's still online and it's social media. Mm -hmm. How can you actually build, you know, um, these type of relationships? I'm like, well, I'm a testament. <laughs> that I've built some incredible relationships that have now become family. And for me, mm -hmm. LinkedIn is, is everything <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> because of that. <laughs> myself included, you know, I, I, um, 
I kind of hesitated in getting too heavy in social media. I, I never was on Facebook yeah. at all. And then when I formed the nonprofit, I, that's when I thought, well, you know, how am I going to promote the nonprofit? How am I going to, how am I going to advocate? How am I going to collaborate with other like-minded people? Well, yeah, social media was out there. And I know LinkedIn, uh, when I first got on, there was some criticism of people sharing personal stories and being vulnerable. But I think what we found yeah. out was that stigma became broken because we all benefit from hearing it's it, I write about this in my book, you know, in the midst of someone else's chaotic life, we can see as an observer, either how not to live a life or how we can be resilient and, and live undeterred through watching someone else. And I really yeah. benefited following some people I met that are suicide moms and suicide dads and overdose moms overdose dads and, and LinkedIn just became pretty addictive for me. Uh, and I hate that word because addictive has a maladaptive, uh, definition. Um, but I think there's positive addictions. Um, but again, yeah. I tried to have this conversation with the doctor and he chewed my head off cause he said, Nope, there's no such thing as a positive addiction because addiction by definition is, is something despite as adverse consequences. Anyway, this is my attention deficit going down a road. So you have to stop me if I start going down roads. <laughs> Luckily, I am really good at following <laughs> but with it, ADD. But it's, no, it's not. It's not. We got to get rid of the last D. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's it's right. It's not like a ADD. disorder. We just go to attention deficit and we quit right there. They would quit. Okay. okay. So attention yeah. deficit. Anyway, um, so LinkedIn just was this thing that I just got really attracted to. And I followed some, I followed some people for a while. And then I got a little turned off because their mm -hmm. tone became too negative, too angry. You know, I don't want to be an angry dad out there. That's not what I want to be. I, my son died fentanyl, wife died of alcohol. And the last thing I want to do is be out there preaching and yelling and screaming and, and trying to be this, you know, angry person out there to change the narrative. It's like, I think as an advocate, there's two ways to focus on behavior. We can try to get mad and scare people, or we can be positive and inspirational. And I think getting mad and scaring people is how you raise awareness. I think to bring attention to issues, you have to provide hope and inspiration. So again, I, I met Nancy Barros and that's who you talked about earlier. And she was one of my first, literally one of my first guests on my show. Um, I saw Nancy make a post about what she went through uh, with her sex abuse. And she's talked about it uh, at length on social media. So I feel comfortable bringing that up, obviously. But I just thought, wow, what a rock star. What a, what a, what a I, I didn't go through that. I wasn't sexually abused. I don't know what that's like, but to have the courage as a, as a woman to come out, you know, and talk about that. I thought I got to get her on my show, you know, and Danielle McLean was another, another lady I met on LinkedIn, that similar type story. Uh, now she runs like a CEO of an, of an engineering aviation type company. So just another rock star. And she, there were two early women I had on my podcast that I really wanted to highlight and give them a platform to talk to people. And as that door opened, more people started coming out that I knew about sex abuse and stuff. And so I kind of got pulled into this, this area that I didn't intend to get into, but that's what this journey is all about for me is going down one road and then getting distracted, healthy distractions down another. So mm -hmm. LinkedIn, I found out was this amazing community if you follow the right people, that literally has made my life a better, I've made, I've become a better person meeting other people on, on, on LinkedIn. Facebook's a whole different deal, whole different deal, whole different deal. I don't even want to talk about it. I'm not on it. No, I'm on it. I, ha I have to be, and I, I tend to only, 
I maybe accept one out of every 20 friend requests I get. Um, and I just try to follow people that are, and anyone gets off on Trump or politics or anger things. I just, I just, um, I just unfollow them, um, gracefully. But anyway, so your passion is with kids, right? Yeah. Talk I've about always, that. Even when I was young, I always thought I was going to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. I've just always been someone that even as a kid liked kids, right. <laughs> even though I was very mature for my age and also was very good with adults. Um, for myself, I just, I don't know. I thought I was always, I would always end up doing something with children. So I remember my internship in my senior year at school, I went back and I worked at my old daycare, <laughs> Cool, <laughs> which was kind of cool. Yeah. And so I did that. And then when I was in college, I was an art history major and I taught art classes too, for a woman that had kind of her own business. So I've just always just had this affinity towards kids. I knew I wanted to be a young mom. I mean, mm-hmm. my parents to this day laugh about how, you know, they kind of were just like, we don't see you having like an actual like corporate career. We see you just being a mom. Like you're so, I mean, my mom always talks about how like, that's what I wanted to be. I just wanted to be a young mom, raise kids. So for me, it's always been there. It's just that, um, you know, life happens. And (laughs) how many brothers and sisters did you grow up with? I grew up with a younger brother who's five years younger and my sister's 14 years younger. So my sister was actually like my little toy in the sense that at age 14, I was taking care of her, changing her diapers, feeding her. I mean, I was obsessed with my sister. I mean, I have so many pictures of her in my arms while I'm doing my homework, just watching TV. Like your own daughter. (laughs) Yeah, no, seriously. So for me, I mean, my mom was older when she had her. And so my mom was already kind of at that age of like, you know, she was tired. And so she had, uh, she had, me and I just absolutely loved it. So um, yeah, I kind of had my own my own child as a teen, if you think about it. And um, yeah, so it wasn't until the uh, till COVID that you know Rock the Vote came about. And I have a 21 year old and an 18 year old, and I was seeing how it was affecting their lives. Just you know the mental health crisis, and that was even before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. You know, just with social media and depression, and they unfortunately had already known kids that had taken their lives. You know, we went to a funeral open casket where a kid shot himself and my son's, you know, friend. And, you know, you're thinking, gosh, at that age, they're already experiencing, you know, kids that are taking their lives. Like, this is awful. And here I try to take my life when I was in college, but it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it was different. There was no social media. So it wasn't like, everybody knew to this day, there's people that are still finding out that I actually tried to take my life when I was in college and people that knew me. Cause yeah, I wasn't like, you actually attempted or you you had suicidal ideation. I actually attempted. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to, uh, I took all my antidepressant pills, drank a bottle of wine, Hmm. but I think, um, what it did and I, I kind of chuckle about it, but Nancy, she and I were living together and she was on antidepressants and I thought I was taking hers turns out I was taking her Advil. So I think the Advil might've had some kind of, Reaction. maybe it was protecting me. I'm not sure, but yeah, so obviously it did not work. Uh, so yeah, so I actually attempted and, um, yeah. And then COVID comes around and I was on LinkedIn heavily doing a lot of podcasts, doing a lot of lives like, you know, this about mental health, about personal branding, about just social media in general. And it just kind of came to me one day where I was like, well, no one's really asking our kids right. <laughs> what's, right. you know, how they're feeling. If anything, they're the ones that are really being affected. You know, a lot of adults tend to get a little bit self-absorbed. <laughs> 
and have it be all about themselves. And, you know, I thought, okay, yeah, that's great and all, but we have to focus on these kids because they're our future. And if we're sitting here complaining about our future and complaining about our kids and we're not doing anything about it, like then we have no right to complain about them. (laughs) You know, like that's where I get a little annoyed um, Mm -hmm. sometimes is we're so quick to say that they're entitled, that they're lazy, they're all of these things. And I wanted to actually kind of prove everybody wrong. Right. Uh, You know, because I have, uh, you know, I have two really good kids and their friends are great. And so I thought, no, there's kids out there (laughs) that are not what, you know, stop labeling our kids, you know, in in one way. And so that's why I thought, well, I'm just going to go straight to the horse's mouth. (laughs) And that's what I did is just started having conversations with our kids. And now I have 66 conversations uploaded on my Rock the Boat YouTube channel. You know, I'm... When I when I saw Rock the Boat, I checked out your website, uh, uh, Rock, Rock Vision and Rock the Boat, and mm-hmm. um, I was just so impressed with not just the quality of what you have out there, but the emphasis on on the kids. And some of these interviews you did were so cute; they were so innocent, and these kids feel like they're movie stars. You know, some of them are just perfect for the for the moment. Others you have to kind of out of yeah. them a little bit, but I mean. Yeah. The rewarding thing that you do. And the reason I say that is, you know, so many advocates in mental health space are on the, what I call the supply side on site. They're in the recovery, they're in the, rehab, mm-hmm. they're in the with the addictions and, and the substance use and all the lies and, and all the, um, just all the, the misery that goes in that area. And it's got to be very unrewarding for a lot of advocates that every day get lied to and, and they see the same people repeating the same poor choices and they're not paid very well, a lot of the mental health advocates in those areas. And so I think I think it's got to be very um, demoralizing. But here's you talking to kids every day, you know, on the other side of the mental health spectrum, you're on the demand side. We're, we're, we're on the prehab side. We're focusing on we're, fo- we're focusing on intervening before the intervention. Right. Yeah. And that's so much more rewarding. You know, the conversations yeah. are just I'm smiling watching him and I'm like. I'd love to be able to interview kids like that. That would be so fun and would make me really feel like I'm, I'm making a difference. You know, I talked to some advocates in the recovery and rehab space and they really feel at the end of the day, I, I just don't think I'm making a difference, you know? Yeah, that's, that's hard. Yeah. That's why I'm doing, yeah. Cause I don't try to, I don't want to sit here and pretend that I'm like some counselor. I have some degree in psychology or anything, but I do know that all the personality tests that I take, they all say the same thing that I would have made a good psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> so I do know I have that, you know, that uh, sensibility, if you will. But um, for me, I just feel that if I'm someone that can share my experience and hopefully have it help, then that's like where I'm at, mm-hmm. where it's it's about just being able to be positive about my experience, you know, because like you said, a lot of times we take our our past experiences that are painful and that are traumatic and we just kind of dwell in them and sit in there and just kind of woe is me. And I just, I'm not that person. So I thought, okay, well, what can I do with my experience that hopefully can help others? And I found that talking to these kids, they really appreciate when I am very open and vulnerable about, and obviously I'm very, uh, mindful mm-hmm. of who I tell, because I'm not going to sit here and right. have a conversation with a young right. kid and suddenly be like, hey, guess what? I tried to take my life because they would be a little bit like, what? <laughs> you know, it's the teenagers that 
are also talking about mental health and maybe also sharing kind of some stories. Then I'll go ahead and open up to them because most of them have no clue. They don't know why I want to talk to them. Yeah. You know, so I kind of have to open up in a way so they can understand naturally, like have enough self-awareness to be like, oh, wait, this this woman really actually just wants to hear what I have to say because she she sees the value in having us feel heard and seen and empowered. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, just, I think once they realize that, that that's all it is, is there's no, uh, there's no agenda whatsoever. Like for me, it really, there isn't, you know, I do get asked all the time, like, do you monetize what you do? And I'm like, not for like, I don't now, because that's not why I was doing mm-hmm. it. But at some point, you know, if I can monetize it and have it be something that I can focus more on because it is being monetized and yeah, so be it. But that's not why I'm doing this at all. It's um, it really is, is the uh, is going to the source in a at an age where I feel like it can make an impact because I took your advice. You know, we, you and I had spoken and I I uh, I binged dope sick over the weekend yeah. Yeah, so I binged it, and once again, it just kind of reinforces how we have to go to – we have to get in deeper. Mm-hmm. We cannot mask numb. You know, at the end of the day, it's people that have some kind of level of insecurity or some kind of something there that, you know, obviously there's an right. addictive factor to like your, your body, but at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of this is about feeling numb and not wanting to feel. Yeah, I mean – If if you look at the movie Dope Sick, obviously people were getting prescribed opioids to not really mask uh, anything, but to help them get through pain management. And then they became addicted to something that they were told was not addictive. And that was the pray the genesis of the opioid crisis that we are currently in. Um, But back to kids a second. What's your thoughts on why kids are so hopeless today? Now, now I'm talking five and six year olds. They're they're always pretty bubbly, but you start getting into yeah. that, you get into that 12, 13, 14, and then something pivots. Something now obviously it's puberty and all that. I, I know that. Yeah. But there's something different in this society than there was when I grew up and, and you grew up. And it's like there's something different. And I think I know, but I thought I wanted to get your perspective on why kids seemingly today, with having everything, feel like they have nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess just from what I've gathered, just from having these conversations, a lot I feel has to do with the fact that they're inundated with all this information in their brain. Their their brains just really cannot process like everything that's coming at them. And it's like overwhelming. So when you're overwhelmed, <laughs> you know, it that's a horrible feeling I would think to have that you have all this stuff going at you. And a lot of them, they, that's, you know, they're... <laughs> It, they have no say in it, right? Like you go on the internet and suddenly you just have every information at your fingertips. Yeah. And so I think a lot has to do with that. And the other is suddenly you know what everybody and their mother is doing. Mm-hmm. And that adds this whole level of competition, of insecurity, of like, I can't believe that person's doing that. And so then I feel like that adds a whole nother level of um, just feeling like you're not doing enough, you're not worthy enough all of those things. I mean, you've got that. And then the other thing that you have too, is that if you make a mistake, suddenly everybody yeah. knows. And we're in this society where, you know, now we call, what was it being canceled that you say something, one thing that's wrong and you're canceled and your life is basically over. And 
I mean, gosh, for any child to feel like if I say the wrong thing, my life is over, my, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but that, that, that type of pressure, how can you not as a teenager feel hopeless? I, know, I watch shows. I don't know. I mean, just, talk, just mentioning it, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, how does any of us like actually function? <laughs> I watch shows that I grew up with, comedy shows that were just, you know, Steve Martin, um, just great, funny comedy shows. And I'm like, they couldn't make those today. A lot of the, oh a lot God, of the so shows they couldn't make today, you know, um, yeah. you just couldn't. And, and it's like, we have this less humorous personality now and, and you know, laughter is the best medicine. And I had a comedian on the other day as a mental health comedian, uh, his name's Frank King. And he was on the tonight show as a writer. And we laughed the whole time, but we talked about suicide, his attempted suicide, alcoholism, death and overdose. And it's like, and I got done. I'm going, dude, we're not supposed to laugh during these things, but it's like, okay, yeah. I guess the alternative is let's just be miserable. Well, let's, let's take this stuff really too serious. And I'm not saying death isn't serious, yeah. but it's like, we're all going to die. We all know it yet. Yet we haven't found a way right. yet to really have a reverence and a respect towards death as we do with life. But one thing I want to talk about that you were talking about with kids, and this is kind of what I was going to ask you is, you know, the difference between, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but when I was in, when I was a kid, we just went out in the backyard and we had curiosity and we, we had an open mind and we, we looked and observed and we learned. And today kids don't have to think because the phone does all the thinking for them. So they are terrified. Mm-hmm. They are terrified to be alone. They're terrified to look at a wall for five minutes and have to be creative and observe their thoughts because this thing in their hand is making all the decisions for them. So we just have this generation growing up with their anxiety levels are so high because quite honestly, they're just not comfortable being alone with themselves. They have to be distracted from the reality of, of them. And that, that, that disillusion of, of self is, is, um, is troublesome to me. It's, it, you know, I know phones aren't going away, so I'm not going to try to be that one saying, let's have a prohibition yeah. on phones, yeah. but how do we get kids to get more in tune with who they are? So they can develop coping mechanisms to fight the inevitable, the inevitable train wreck of mental health coming their way. It happens to all of them. All they have, all kids have to do is just watch their parents argue. They have to watch their neighbors uh, get divorced, watch kids at school come and complain about the house they live in. They know this train wreck's coming. They're, they're, They're certain of it. How do we prepare them? How do we arm them with the tools? So when this train shows up, um, they can just watch it go by. You know, I, I struggle with that. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because even now, you know, I have a 18 year old and she's it's her freshman year in college and almost every day she's like one day she's like, I want to transfer the next day. She's OK. And it's like she's all over the place. And as a parent, you know, I'm trying to give her advice, but then she gets annoyed because she's like, you say the same thing, mom. And, you know, and sitting and I'm sitting here thinking like, OK, well, how like I got to kind of empathize and, you know, with her. And, but at the same time, I'm her mom. So it's like, you know, I have to kind of just change her mindset a little bit and all these things. And I'm thinking like, gosh, you know, I have a really good kid. Like she's such a good, good kid. And yet I'm having issues with having, being able to like communicate with her that like, Hey, this happens. Like, this is life. Like you're not every day is going to be like this great day in college. You know, like there's plenty of other people that are, that are going through the same thing. And it wasn't until Um, my ex and I had a conversation after and my ex and I are really close. And he's like, yeah, it turns out that one of her sorority sister was, was like, listen, 
I just had this conversation with five other girls experiencing the same thing. They're homesick. Wow. They don't know anyone. So I think wow. that's, so then I was like, that was the key for her was to realize that other girls were experiencing the same thing. She's not alone. And then that's when it really clicked. I'm like, that's what it is. It's is. Is like, so many of us think that we're the only ones going through that experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a parent, you can say all you want and, but it's not until one of their peers mm -hmm. validates what they're feeling. And the fact that she had a peer validate and the peer was also very, you know, much about like, you know what, let's hang out tonight. Like you don't feel, you know, you don't have any plans. Like let's go shopping. Let's go eat. Like I love that her sorority sister was like, all right, you know what, we're going to get out of your head and we're going to have some fun and just, you know, just kind of hang out. And, and that's really key. And I think that we need to encourage more of that, of as parents, because I think that's another thing. A lot of parents want to be the ones that are fixing everything. They want to be the ones that know everything that they, you know, give mm -hmm. the right advice to their kids. And sometimes we can do everything right, but it's still not going to work. <laughs> you know? and, so yeah. I think that's a lesson as well. The terrifying aspect of all this is when we were younger, you know, my parents would say, well, toughen up, you know, fight through it. You know, I grew up with three brothers, mom would have food on the table and she wouldn't tell us when to come in. But if you didn't come in and eat the other, my other brothers eat all the food. So it's like, you just learn to kind of think on your own. We didn't have a lot of structure. Yeah. I could, I could go out a couple neighborhoods over and play basketball till dark and come back. And, and that's the environment we grew up in today. It's just a lot more controlled. And, and I think with fairly good reason, yeah. but you know, bad stuff happened back then. We just didn't know about it. Today, we know about every every yeah. jogger that's abducted or every person who's you know shot at a, at a at a restaurant or something. We hear about these things, and we tend to think that they're they're more prevalent and more frequent. But it's just more distributed today. But you know, going back to this issue with kids, it's like so. How, how do we as advocates empower kids to make better choices in difficult situations? You know what. It seems to me what's happening is we just keep adding layers of complexity, like, like more labels, like this kid's got this issue. Let's just make up a label so we can file an insurance claim, for example. Um, and yeah. so we just kind of label these kids. So kids growing up uh, think that they actually have a disorder when, when maybe they're just human, you know, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. attention deficit, depression, anxiety, just maybe these are things we all have. And it's not just, it's yeah. not one kid has depression, the other doesn't. It's just one kid understands how to manage it better. Maybe subconsciously they manage it better. You know, I've never had depression. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time trying to think about depression. I just, with attention deficit, I tried it a few times, didn't like it. And I quit. I just, I just wasn't good at it. You know, I'm not being sarcastic. It's just, I don't have a lot of time. I don't, I don't sit around thinking about things too much. And when I do, yeah. I don't have time for yeah, and, and, and I'm not. <laughs> I did back in the day. I don't and know I know anymore. people watching this would say, "Oh, Jeff, that's you know, you're just wrong because you're lucky." And I was like, "Well, okay, I am. Then maybe I'm lucky, but maybe maybe I reframe things differently than a lot of people too." And that comes back to just some things I read about stoicism back in college that really piqued my interest in my philosophy and psychology classes was the concept of reframing. And why don't we teach instead of sitting down and telling our kids? all about the terrible things about drugs. Why don't we talk to them about the great things about making better choices? Why don't we talk about the great things about this thing called attention deficit they have that's actually an asset for them in their life, not a punishment. We don't do that. We set them up for yeah. failure at a young age by labeling them 
And if we really looked at something as simple as attention deficit as a society, as something really healthy and good and can be nurtured in a good way, think of the millions of kids growing up that really would believe that they were anointed something special instead of being cursed. I've always had a problem with that. And that's just one subset of diagnosis that I have an issue with. And and I even have issues with the word sobriety and alcoholism and all that stuff. It's just, why do we feel necessary to have to put labels in everything? I just, maybe, maybe the label is we're just human. Yeah, I know I have an issue with the labels too, because I know that affected me as a child because, you know, my kids, my parents kept saying, you know, like I'm this, I'm that, you know, it got to the point where, and I joke around how I was like the white sheep of the family. (laughs) You weren't the black (laughs) sheep. I was I wasn't, no, because it was among a family, a bunch of black sheeps. And I was the white sheep in the sense that, you know, my, my aunts and uncles and my cousins, they would, they labeled me as Miss Francis Parker. And Francis Parker is the high school, the middle school and high school that I went to. But because I was a rule follower, because I was very much about like, this is how things are done. And I would, you know, have just kind of was a perfectionist and so forth. And I just was that kid. I got labeled and I got, I felt like that was a bad thing because all my cousins are all like super egocentric. And, you know, now they're all, a bunch of them are like, you know, actors and musicians and nobody, I think I'm the only person out of the entire like family that has a corporate job, like a nine to five. They're all entrepreneurs. They're all like, so just imagine me among all my cousins in Mexico feeling badly about myself because they kept labeling me as this like perfect child. And, you know, you would think that that's a cool thing, right? Like, wow, I'm perfect. Burden. But no, it's like, to live, it's a burden. Yeah. To live up to that expectation. It was really hard. And that's a lot that attributed to my depression was knowing that I couldn't be perfect. And that was depressing to me. And so um, for me, even to this day, I still am labeled and I still have trouble because for instance, I've always been told you're such a social butterfly. You're so extroverted. You're so this. And I'm starting to realize I'm becoming more introverted. Mm. I'm becoming a little bit more, um, you know, I, I don't like to party as much as I used to all these things, but people are like, Oh, it's, it's, and it's hard because I even had one of my, my girlfriends from college who I'm still friends with. She's like, Hey, we're going to go out with my aunt. And apparently she told her aunt that I was like this, I was such a fun person and I'm such a good time and I'm a blast. And like, you know, just building me up like this, like, like (laughs) we're going to, woohoo, you know, turn it up. And I just wasn't in the mood for it. We went out and, 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 and the aunt was almost like really disappointed of like, wow, you told me that she was going to be fun and she was a fuddy dud. And I was like, it wasn't that I was a fuddy dud. And she's like, you didn't have fun. I'm like, I, it's not that I didn't have fun. It's just that I don't choose to be on all right. the time. Like I was actually right. observing. I'm in a new town. Right. I was observing the new right. people. I wasn't upset. None of those things. I just wasn't living up to what you <laughs> were, you know, and that's even at a 47, as a 47 year old, I'm like, geez, you know, and then you start thinking like, wow, I just disappointed those people hardcore because I wasn't, you know, like partying like crazy then <laughs> it's, it's just an evolution that's all it is yes. you know yeah. and I think and so that's, that's one of the chapters in my book called the evolution of self and i think it's important that we you know i mean we we tend to kind of wait for this midlife crisis to happen and i think i talked about this the other day with you yeah and i immediately thought about going back to the kids. I keep going back to kids, you know, uh, is it, maybe we need to have like a teen life crisis perspective because we tend to have this reactive, um, mindset where we'll wait for the forest fire. We'll get 
everybody together with thimbles and we'll go try to put out the fire. And this, this mm -hmm. isn't working. And I mean, if, if the data said suicide rates are down, depression is down, uh, overdoses are down, alcoholism, death are down. Then I think the way we were doing things, we just magnify and do more of it and replicate it. And, and we, we would see people's lives, quality of life, um, well-being improve. People will look in the mirror and feel better. None of that's happening at all ages. I mean, the highest year over year suicide rate that I saw a, st a statistic on was white middle-aged men. I mean, it's me. Highest year over year, not numbers, but percent increase. So, I mean, what's going on with white middle-aged men? You know, I, I don't, I mean, I, I have my thoughts on that because I am one, but it's like, you know, there's just seems to be a lot of messes in every aspect of humanity we need to clean up, you know, that we need to really figure out ways to, um, to write the ship here, because I think, I think we're just heading into some really rough seas in the next couple generations. If we don't figure out ways to get this thing fixed pretty quickly here, you know, and I think again, yeah. it goes back to, you know, is getting this thing fixed, getting Raquel to stop drinking two bottles of Pinot Grigio, you know, every night, <laughs> or is getting this fixed, getting a five-year-old to empower them to understand you have more control over your life than what you think you do and show them, not tell them, but show them really healthy, constructive ways they can live an intentional life. Um, I don't know which, what's your thoughts on, on how we write this ship? <laughs> Cause I'm concerned. Um, yeah, no, I'm, and I'm very concerned. I had a conversation with one of my childhood friends. We just saw each other and we were talking about how his parents and his adults, like you said, obviously nothing's, really change. So I think as adults, we also have a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, and as parents, we have a responsibility and she, cause she has two teenage kids and they're, they're good kids too. And, you know, she was telling me how their school, they don't have textbooks. Hmm. Okay. Like for both their, both her kids go to two different private schools and they're not allowed there. They, t um, address each other like the adults, like the teachers with, by their first name. It's not like, you know, Mr. J, it's, hey, Jeffrey. Huh. Um, and yeah. so some people might think that's like a completely radical way of educating your, our kids. But at the same time, like, hey, if it's nurturing these kids in a way that they're becoming kinder, better human beings and maybe like, then so be right. it, right? Like, right. then I, I'm okay right. with you calling me by my first name. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I, I miss Forest team right. and how disrespectful, because right. I feel like that's how we've always right. been. We were taught to be like, right. you know, you respect your elders and the only way to do it is by, you know, addressing me by my last name and by, right. you know, listening to what I have right. to say. And I'm realizing that, like you said, things we're evolving. So we have to also evolve the way we think. And, and so I think a lot has to do with how we're parenting our kids as well, which could be, once again, a lot of people could sit here and be like, okay, she's a little bit <laughs> cuckoo. But all I know is that from the friends that I have that are kind of parenting their kids a certain way, mm -hmm. they have kids that, yeah, it doesn't mean that they're perfect kids, but they have kids that are willing to come to them. Mm -hmm and trust them and be open with them. And I think that is really key is having these kids feel like they can trust their parents and come to them when there is an issue and there, when there is a problem that they can talk to them about it. I think that in itself is, is a lot of, of what's happening is, you know, a lot of these kids feel like they can't go to their parents and then what happens? I don't know, but I do feel like we have to start kind of, 
doing things differently. And, you know, there's going to be some older generations that are going to be like, okay, you, you're, you're nuts. And that's okay. Cause your kids are probably like already have, you or probably already have grandkids. So this, right. this is more for, for the, for the parents that are, you know, younger and maybe their kids are younger and, and maybe it's just looking at that dynamic differently. If what if what, know, we're, if like, what we were doing was working, we wouldn't be interested in new alternatives um, because we would just keep doing what we're doing. But I can't see many statistics that are getting better. And so that's what's frustrating for me. But I'm trying to remain open minded, you know, trying to look at all options on the table. Um, but I do think that we spend an enormous amount of time and money putting out fires and less time on preventing fires. And if we focused on prevention... Yeah. Then, you know, I mean, for example, just let's talk about health, just health in the United States. You know, we're the heaviest industrial country in the world and we're getting bigger. Yet we have more knowledge and information we've ever had at our fingertips and technology to lose weight. Granted, there are some people that are born that way. I, I get it. I'm not going to, not, that's not what I'm talking about. And people just go off on tangents to defend a, an agenda. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to fat shame anybody. I'm just simply saying this, that over 80% of the health problems that adults have are directly attributed to their diet and lack of exercise. I don't think anyone can argue that. Um, so we know all that. And each year we get more labels. We get, there's more documentaries. There's more everything, but we just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So where lies the problem? More data, more information, more research or changing human behavior. You know, it's, it's painfully clear to me it's behavior. It's, it's, and it's no different with addiction and substance use disorder or distress. I call it now. I don't even call it disorder. It's substance use distress for me is, you know, again, do we need more data on AA works or more, um, you know, more data on, on a deep dive into further diagnosis of these subsets of diagnosis. And we just keep micromanaging this problem. Maybe, maybe Occam's razor is correct. Maybe the simplest solution is normally the best solution. And we've overcomplicated this mental health crisis we're in. I think I don't have answers. I have more questions and I have answers and that's why I have a show. And that's why I invite people that, you know, that also have a lot of questions. Yeah, we both. So at the end of the show, people are going to say, I didn't learn anything from this show. Anything. People are just, yeah. But it's like, you know, I run into so many advocates and they're so passionate about what they do. And then they're so rigid in, in willing to, to change their mindset. And then they just think that I have the answer to all the problems out there. And this is my way or the highway. And that, that mindset, I just, I'm lucky I don't have that mindset. I'm lucky I'm more of a scientist mindset that I like to keep inquiring. And I actually listen to podcasts that are against what I believe in purposely because I don't want to fall trapped to an echo chamber. So, you know, a lot of people who are staunch, say Republicans, they'll watch Fox News all night. They'll watch Tucker Carlson. They'll watch Trump rallies and they'll just reinforce their behavior because they don't want to be challenged because it forces them to have to think. And most humans don't want that. We, we want the validation. And so in the mental health space, the same way, most of the people online tend to follow people that subscribe to their beliefs and they pat each other on the back. And, and very once in a while, you'll see someone come in and kind of stoke the fire a little bit. And I like to jump on and follow those people. You know, I'm, I'm more inclined to follow somebody who's a little con confrontational. Uh, it makes a you know pretty good point. I like to follow those people, add them to my Add them to my list of my, my think tank of knowledge that I can follow. And, and again, I think that's counter to what most people do. Most people just like to like and follow people that 
talk like them and sound like them, you know? And that, again, that just makes, makes it harder for us to get out of these problems if we're close-minded, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm also of kind of the mindset where I, I also want to be able to think for myself. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I don't even pay attention to all those motivational gurus, mm -hmm. inspirational gurus, because at the end of the day, I was like, I know what's best for me. And I know I have a really great inner voice and I'm pretty smart and mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty self-aware. So a lot of times, like I, you know, I'm just kind of like, I'm not going to listen to you because I don't need you to tell me how to live my life when this is my life. And I think that's another thing too, is that there's so many people out there that want to tell you how to live your life. And that's another thing too, is you have all these kids. If you have all these people telling you how to live your life, then we're still reinforcing them not to think for themselves. Right? Like, and, and usually all these inspirational, motivational, they're giving you what they think is the best remedy to not have a horrible life or to not go through to things, avoid right? it. And I'm thinking, but no, to avoid it. But once again, that's what life is right, all about. Right, so like right, even right. in the, in the movie dope sick, Michael Keaton's character had mentioned something in the rehab, um, in the circle about like, we're always going to experience pain. Mm -hmm. Like pain's always going to be there. It's part of life. It's just like navigating through that pain. So that's mm -hmm. kind of where I also have a little bit of an issue of like, we're trying to glorify how, if you follow this, this, and this, and this formula, then your life's going to be great mm -hmm. and you're going to be fit and you're going to be this and you're going to be successful and all of these things. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But like, come on, the majority of the people are not going to be able to follow that regimen. Mm -hmm. And then when they can't, then they're going to all, guess what? They're going to feel like crap about themselves because right. they're like, I wasn't right. able to, to, to implement what this person was telling me. So I feel like we're also kind of in this weird, um, thing in, in, with society right now where everybody's so quick to tell everybody else like the best way to live and the best way to be successful. And, and I'm just kind of like, can I just live my life and figure it out? And <laughs> so be it. Right. <laughs> you you know? know, and I think you can anoint yourself anything today on social media. You can put a label. Yeah. You can put a label. Everybody you know, wants to be an expert or whatever. Right. Like when I get, when I, when people address me as like an expert of social media. I'm like, I am no expert. Are you mm -hmm. kidding me? Like, I don't like it. Like, or when people ask me to share a bio, I'm not in, I'm like, don't just introduce me as Raquel Boris. Like, I don't need this whole list of things that I've done. Like who cares? Right. Because at the end of the day, like I can tell you all these things that I've done in all these labels, but if, if I'm not like walking the walk and leading by example, then who gives a crap about all of those things? Cause there's a lot of people that rely on, <laughs> that, that bio on that list of, and I'm just not that person. Like I just, I, don't, I actually get annoyed when people get introduced and they, it's like, and they're this and this. And I this know and this I, this I, this I was on a podcast the other day. Like, <laughs> I was on a podcast and you know, the, the individual, uh, went to my old LinkedIn profile. I scrapped it. I did exactly what you said. I took all my, all my yeah. boards I'm on, took all that off. I just put down yeah. my story I wanted to be a storyteller yeah. and that's what I think I'm, I'm good at. I'm not an expert in anything, but, and so this person yeah. got my LinkedIn bio and after about two minutes of reading things, boards I was on 15 years ago that I don't even participate yeah. in, I just thought I got to go into LinkedIn and just get rid of this whole thing because this isn't me anymore. I'm five years ago, yeah. five years ago, I died. I was reborn and I'm, I'm a completely different human being than I was five years ago. Yeah. If you'd have met me five years ago, I was hyper focused on making money. I was pretentious. I, you know, now in hindsight, I, at the time I didn't realize all this, but in hindsight, I realize it now. Yeah. 
um, you know, money was something I wanted to accumulate. Now it's more of a ways to a means to help people. You know, now it's allowing me to buy an RV and do things that, that, um, that I can get a lot of meaning and purpose out of. So it's like, but I think we all have point parts in our lives where we die, you know, um, maybe yeah. it's, maybe it's at five years old when you got sexually molested, maybe that, that person previous to that died and now you have to rebuild a life up yeah. and maybe it's at 60 when you're diagnosed with stage four cancer, you know, it's like not the healthy Jeff died. Now it's the unhealthy Jeff. And it's like, I think evolution is so important as a adaptive mm-hmm. skill, you know, uh, have that mindset that we are never the same. We either grow or we die. You know, I, I think Dr. Phil said you can either be busy living or be busy dying. Somebody said that quote yeah. and you know, yeah. some quotes are really cool. I'm like that, that's a good one, you know? And, and I think each day yeah. I have that mindset and I think you do, you have the same mindset and a lot of people that follow us and listen to podcasts like ours have that growth mindset, you know? Um, someone that I listen to, you should listen to this podcast. It's by Scott Barry Kaufman. It's called the the psychology podcast. It's a very good podcast. He's got a great sense of humor. He takes the complexities of, of psychology and has a really good, um, uh, very, one of my favorite podcasts out there. And he has a new book out called choose growth. And in that book, he talks a lot about, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And he's a big Maslow, uh, disciple. Um, and actually in the book, he continues a lot about, uh, some of the things about Maslow that people didn't know. And, uh, I just think to myself, it's like, you know, there's so much of the mind that we haven't tapped. And the moment we think we have things figured out, or you think, you know, the solution to the problem. Well, first of all, we probably don't even have the problem identified correctly. Yeah. How in the hell can we have solutions when we don't really even have the problem identified? So we spent a lot of times on, in mental health on, um, on the symptoms, you know, on the, on, yeah. on the drugs, on the alcohol, on the, the jail, on the, 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 the opioid, like fentanyl on China, on the borders. And it's like, those are all, those are all symptoms of, of an underlying issue. You know, if oh, yeah. kids didn't yeah, feel like they had to do drugs, then the supply would whittle up and go away. You know, in theory, yeah, it's just, the that's blind demand. It's hard. I know, but it's tough. Like, that's the thing is, like, it is hard. It's work. It is really hard because, like, even when um, I, every now and then I won't, like, drink for a month. Like, I'll just not drink for a month. Is that and hard? Every time I want to go. Um, it, 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 at times there's some months where it was like no big deal whatsoever. And then it depends, I think on what I'm going through in my life, but I, what I've noticed <laughs> is like, I want to drink because I do want to numb like those emotions. And then I have to sit there and think, well, what is it? Why do I want to numb these emotions? And what am I feeling that I want to go ahead and just like go for a drink? Right. So like I sit there and I try to do the work in that moment of like, all right, Raquel, well, this is when things are coming up. This is when you have to do it, but it sucks, right? Like it's work and it's painful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people just don't want to have to do that. And I think just as a society in our world, we just, it, the thought of having to like actually like face our issues I think that's like one of the the main reasons why we're so quick to be like, well, let's just, you know, 
give a pill or let's just, you know, do something that's just more superficial band-aiding things because it is hard to like actually <laughs> discover what it is that, you know, you're going through and why. During COVID, alcohol usage went up like 70%. So, oh my gosh. So not I mean, only, we were, and, and, I I, I, and they're well. delivering alcohol to people. It's like, oh my it's like, gosh. come I on, mean, seriously, I, we're, we're alone. We're alone. We're sad. Things. We're depressed. We're watching, you know, sappy Netflix movies all day long. Yeah. Oh, I drink so right. much. Right. And, and then, like, oh, geez, I can order beer on like, Uber and have it delivered. <laughs> you know, again, and again, it's just like, yeah. you know, it's like, man, that that's a. Uh, it's that boredom. It's yeah. the this, it's the that. And, and so even the recycling guy, we all, their neighbors would joke around like, oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, we talked. <laughs> exactly. Everybody thinks that like everybody's an alcoholic because it's just like bottles of wine than wine. But you know, having it's easier to just drink for a lot of us than to actually sit there and and um, <laughs> and deal with our with ourselves. But I will tell you this: I will tell you this. Um, it can become easier not to drink. I, I will honestly yeah, tell you I, that. I, I, I honestly, for I, me, I it's it easier to not yeah. to drink. Um, it's not even a, a want or a need type analysis. It's 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 if I have two roads that the easy route of drinking, the easy route of not drinking. Most people say it's hard not to drink. It's easier. I'm sorry. It's hard not to drink. It's easier to drink. I say it's easy not to drink or easy to drink. It's easy not to drink. It just depends on, for me, it's just easier not to drink. It's just, it's more convenient in my life. I feel better at 56. I sleep better. Um, I don't say things I'm going to regret or post something at midnight when I'm mad about something. Um, but I want to go back to something that I was going to ask you your thoughts on this is that, mm -hmm. is that what's your thoughts on the biggest challenge we have with kids in regards to, um, their mental health and what do you think the biggest challenge is for us as adults? What are we up against? What's the fiercest competitor we have to get our kids to understand the road that they're on? I think going back is communication, mm -hmm. you know, like that connection communication, like we've lost all of that. Like we're, we just kind of, we'll see our kid on a phone and we'll just like, uh, they're, they're busy. Like, I think we just have to be just more proactive. I really do. It's, it's tough, but you know, I don't know if I told you this, but I, I might've shared this story on a live the other day and it was like very heartbreaking for mm. me, but that's when I realized like, we're not, we got to do better. We got to do better. I was at a restaurant and I was just ordering the food. It's one of those where you're ordering it and you've got like, you know, tables and I was, you know, and I was looking around and I liked it. I'm very observant. And I noticed that there was a, a mother with her two boys and one of the boys, the younger one was on his phone. She's on her phone. And the one across from her was like maybe 10 or 11. And he's like, Hey mom. So I got made fun of at school today again. Like clearly he's gets bullied mm -hmm. and she's kind of like ignoring him. And she's like, mom, like I got called Shrek again today. And he's clearly trying to tell her about this situation. And your blood's starting to boil probably right now. <laughs> and I, yeah. And already I'm like, oh my gosh, stupid kids, you know? And I'm like, gosh, here we go bullying, you know? And, um, and so he's like trying to get his mom's attention mm -hmm. and she's on her phone. And finally she's like, 
what do you what do you mean? Like she was annoyed with him that she's sharing this story. I think because I think as a mom, you don't want nobody ever wants their kid to be the one that's bullied, right? Like you don't you just don't want to be that that parent right. to have to have that kid. So I, the way she responded, it was almost like she was annoyed mm. that he was the one getting bullied, mm. right? So, and then she just stopped and went back to her phone and just ignored him. Boy, that's the and, one chance that he was going to open up to her on that topic, and she just shot him I, down. It, and she shot him down and I was so angry. Like I, it took everything in me, Jeff, not to go over there oh, and I just bet. throw the phone out of her phone and be like, listen to your child. He's trying to tell you something like this is your chance. And she just ignored him. And you could tell he was disappointed that his mom wasn't mm. paying attention to him and essentially didn't care. And so as I was walking by and I looked at her phone, she was just scrolling through her Facebook. Yeah. Like it wasn't like she was, you know. And it, I left that restaurant and I just started crying. Yeah. Like I sat in the car. I actually get emotional just every time I talk about it because it you just feel like, so sorry for that kid. Because I thought that kid, if he does something right. like, and it, you almost feel like guilty, right. like, but then at the same time, it's like, you want to be respectful of other parents, you know, the way they're right. par they parent right. and so forth. But at the same time, like, I could not stop talk, thinking about that kid. I'm like, God, you know what? This is exactly what, this is what I'm talking about. Like we have mm. to do something different as parents. Like we do, we ha we can do better. Like there's great parents out there, but we can do better. <laughs> you didn't know this, but you just answered the question I asked you. What's the fiercest competitor we have? And you answered it through the story and it's attention. Yeah. Our competition yeah. is attention spans. Parents don't have yeah. it. Kids don't have it. Society doesn't have it. And that's our biggest competition. So if you and I develop the world's greatest online platform to revolutionize the mental health of our kids today, it's based evidence, fact-based, it's simple, it's easy. Our biggest competition isn't the drug dealer. It's not alcohol. It's the attention spans. That, it's not even a cell phone because that is taking the attempt. But if it wasn't cell phones, it'd yeah. be something else. It'd be computers. It'd be TV. It'd be is is that we, our attention's been hijacked. And Johan Hari has a new book out called Stolen Focus. I think that's the name of it. I haven't read it yet. And it's this whole concept of a whole generation of humans, their focus and attention has been hijacked to the point where people can't do 10 minutes a day of meditation. I mean, think, think how ridiculous that is. 10 minutes a day of meditation. Oh, when I taught yoga, when I was a yoga instructor, do you know how many people would leave at Shavasana right before we were going to do the last pose, which Damn. is court pose? They would leave. And I'm like, what, why are you leaving? This is the, the whole point of yoga is to come back is, you know, you die and then you rebirth. You got to like, you know, have your corpse <laughs> moment. I don't have time. And I'm like, wow, you don't have five minutes of your right. day to literally sit and do nothing. Like, it was shocking to me that that's when people would leave. They didn't take it seriously. I'm like, that's actually the most important pose of this entire class is corpse pose. When you're sitting there with your own thoughts doing nothing. Meditations <laughs> probably other than not drinking alcohol five years now has been the one thing that saved my life and not just saved my life, but put me in thrive mode and growth mode. I'm hypersensitive of thoughts, uh, hypersensitive. The fact that I don't know where they come from. I know they go somewhere. And I just observe a lot of my negative guilt, painful, sorrowful thoughts. And I really have learned not to identify with them. And for, for me to, even in my book, I wrote a chapter on meditation. I, I never meditated till Seth died. 
I mean, I didn't have the time. And it wasn't just I didn't have the time. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't sit and close my eyes. I, I, my anxiety level would go up. And, you know, that was my whole life. And so imagine kids today that are like that, and now they have cell phones, and now they have something always making the decisions for them. Meditation is, I think the Dalai Lama said he could, uh, he could eradicate a, a gener in one generation, he could eradicate human violence if he could get every child to meditate in the world. The Dalai Lama said that. And well, and then in meditation, you're listening to that inner voice, Jeff, right? right. And the inner voice is so powerful, but we have ignored that inner well, voice. Well, we listen to it because it's mostly negative, too. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, and then, yeah, you're right. Training that inner voice not to be so negative. Right. But for me, it was once I started following my intuition and my gut, mm -hmm. my inner voice just a couple of years ago, my entire world changed because it was a really positive inner voice. And my intuition was really great. Mm -hmm. I just chose to ignore it because I thought, you know, everybody else tells you to always it's up here, it's up here, it's up here. I'm like, no, you know what? It's actually down right. here for me. And so it's once again, like honoring what works for you and what's right for you. And that's another thing that, yeah, we're just not giving these kids a, a, a choice. Yeah, <laughs> We're telling yeah. them what to think and how to think and all of those, you know, we've, and they know they need to figure it out too. We've pretty much given up on kids. We, we really have. We've, we, oh, I, you I know, think and, so. and you, the story about the mom is so Right. Because I see more adults on their phones behind the wheel. I don't. And we, we say kids drive distracted BS adults drive. Oh adults gosh, are more drive, distracted right? than kids are today. You know, and you know, one on thing too, here, more Adderall, someone almost ran off the road because <laughs> more Adderall is prescribed to adults than kids today. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. No, and we blame that. the kids. No. We blame the kids. Oh, they're on their cell phones all the time. You know what? You're on your cell phone all the time. You're the mom. And, the, well, and that, right. Yeah. Well, and that's something that I try to also being that I do speak, um, you know, about personal branding and social media. That's my job. You know, I do marketing and branding. I also try to talk about, um, I call it mindful social media in the sense that if I'm going to tell you to be on social media, I also try to do it in a way where it's like, okay, try not to filter yourself like crazy. Try to be as, you know, as real as you possibly can be, because what's happening is you're perpetuating a lot of the issues of these, you know, especially young women. If you're a mom that is showing up on social media in a very unauthentic way and, you know, using apps to slim yourself and using the filter to make your face mm -hmm. look all contoured and perfect. Well, guess what? If when your teenage daughter is doing the same thing and you can't, you really cannot sit there and complain about it and get upset with her about it because you're doing the same thing. And a lot of them are modeling what our parents are doing. You know, it's, it's just, and that's a lot of things. That's a, what I, I see that a lot is that a lot of it, it's coming from the parents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's why for me, you'll see me do reels with absolutely no makeup on my hair up in a bun and I make fun of myself and I just kind of, I keep it lighthearted as much as I can because I want my daughter to feel comfortable showing up just the way she, she you know, mm -hmm. that she is. And a lot of our kids don't feel comfortable doing that. Well, guess what? A lot, you got to, <laughs> you look at the parents and they're doing the I know. Same thing. And then you look at the other side of the fence where there's some people that are almost too uh, revealing too, too vulnerable. Uh, and to the point where, oh, yeah. to the point where I think either they're, they're needing that daily affirmation from other people. And so posts yeah. continually posting about something tragic that's happened to them is their way of getting that, or they're looking for sympathy or pity. Um, and I, I kind of almost feel sorry. I, I was in some 
when I got lured into Facebook, I, I got asked to come into some um, chat rooms or whatever they're called uh, of families that have lost children, you know, specifically to fentanyl, but sometimes just grief, you know, grief rooms. And, you know, as a, yeah. as a widow, widower and looking for conversation, I joined some of these, these, uh, these rooms thinking that I'd walk out of there uplifted. I felt terrible. I just, I go in there and it just, and I, I'm going to say this and inevitably someone's going to take it the wrong way, but I'm going to tell you how I feel. I got into these rooms and it was just sappy, uh, sad stories and, and poems and songs and, and videos. And it's like, I get it. I understand that you need to do a video of, of your child and have music playing. And I get that. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm the person too. I have a deceased child as well. I, I understand the need for that. But as an observer, seeing 15 of those back to back to back to back to back, and then trying to be in a positive mindset, it's diff it's very hard to do. I don't know anyone that could watch seven hours of other people's videos of their deceased children and walk away from that feeling like I'm in a really good place right now. I mean, it just drags you down. And so I don't post a lot of stuff about Seth and Prudence uh, for that particular reason. It's not that I don't want to. I mean, his his birthday's coming up in uh, four days and Seth would have been 29 this year. Um, he's got a five-year-old daughter um, and his date of death was the next week. He died October 4. So he died a week after his, his birthday. And I have a very good post I'm going to make. And it's not all about that. It's about what are you going to do to honor the ones you've lost in this, in the six day or the days between his birthday and his date of death. I'm making a post here. Uh, that is intentionally written. It's taken me two days to design. I've had people look at it. And I said, I want people to read this and I want people to do things in honor of the ones they've lost, not to send me a quote saying our thoughts and prayers. I'm so sorry for your loss. I don't need that. I, I don't need that anymore. I want you to say, Jeff, in honor of Seth, I ran five miles today. I haven't ran in a week or I gave 500 bucks to a GoFundMe to somebody I never met. And I did it anonymously. I didn't post it on social media. You know, I did something, uh, I helped my neighbor out, take the garbage out. He's an elderly man. Um, that's the context of my post and, and I'm not posting it. I have one picture of Seth and I really hope I don't get a whole lot of, of posts of people feeling sorry for me. I'm, I'm way past that. I know. Like yeah. I mean, that's like suicide prevention month and week and day. And I didn't right. post anything because I, because once again, I'm like, I don't want this to be about me. Because I don't, I, you know, people, most people know my story, but I don't need to like, and I don't need to do it because everybody else is doing it because it's suicide But we understand why they're doing it, right? I mean, that's, I'm not, I'm yeah, not trying I've to be little at it. Yeah. No, no. But that's the thing is I'm in a different right. place where I've done it before right. and I've done posts. But this year I was like, you know what? I, I don't, I don't, I just, I didn't want the intention. Like I was just in a place of like, because if I share my story, I'm going to get people reaching out, which is fine. Right. But I just, for me, once again, we have to also honor who we are. And just the fact that you can't sit in a room with people kind of doing that. I can't do that either. And it doesn't, I'm not trying to belittle their feel, none of right. that, but I also have to take care of myself. And that's my form of self-care is being surrounded by people that make me laugh. That are people that are more about like, just, you know, let's look at the positive and mm -hmm. not sit in certain things. And that's just who I am. And I, and I cannot, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for for that, you know, and, yeah. and I think that's a, a lot of us just kind of like, 
I don't know. We we worry what other people are going to think yeah. of us. Yeah. And I just am not in that place anymore. I have to really just kind of be true to myself. Almost <laughs> almost every single one of those rooms that I, I got into to support other parents that have lost or you know siblings that have lost loved ones starts off well-intended, lots of you know, patting people yeah. on the back. And then always somebody jumps in and says something like, well, you know, Joe Biden's killing Americans, you know, out of the blue. And then, and then, yeah. and then somebody yeah. says, well, it's not Joe Biden. It's, it's the fact he was given Adderall. Well, now it's the doctors. And then it turns into this freaking cesspool. And I'm just yeah. like, oh my God, are you kidding me? You know, and I don't know if people are just doing that on purpose that, that they're behind a computer. Now they can just throw out Joe Biden, you know, and blame everything on, on the president. It's like, yeah, yeah, my son put heroin in his arm because of Joe Biden. I mean, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I know. You know, it's just the most ridiculous <laughs> thing ever. And, yeah. and it's like, you know, um, so I don't participate in any of those chat rooms anymore. Uh, I still, I didn't leave them. They didn't leave the group. I just don't open them. I don't, I get invited to, I'm not kidding you, Raquel. I get invited to five a week, you know, oh, wow. lost moms of fentanyl or, you know, parents against opioids and, I don't join them anymore because I know they started off well-intended and they just turned into this ridiculous cesspool of negativity and anger and hatred. And I, I don't know. I just, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I, yeah, you don't want to be in that space. I don't want to do it. And that's okay. like, yeah, I mean, I know <laughs> where, I know where I want to spend my time and that's when people that smile and laugh and they cry and, and they um, are trying to make a difference and um, they're doing it with hope and inspiration and not fear and anger, you know? Um, okay. Before we end rock the boat, tell me about, <laughs> yeah. tell me about how people can learn about it. Uh, I have some neighbor girls next door. I'm going to invite, uh, the older one to be on your show. Okay. Uh, she's going to be so giddy and excited. So, um, I think I'm trying to remember she's like 11 or nine or 10 or something, but so tell okay. us about rock the boat. Uh, how can people contact you? Um, where's it going? Uh, so Rock the Boat right now, it's currently on YouTube. So it's a YouTube channel. And so if you can subscribe, that would be fantastic. I did, and by the way. So <laughs> I know you and I, <laughs> I saw you actually do it. And then uh, I, you know, I do need kids on the show and I don't have any criteria. If you're a kid, you're perfect for the show. Um, that's what it's all about is showcasing our kids, all of our kids. Cause I think a lot of times we think our child has to be doing something spectacular or different or, you know, and I feel that every kid is spectacular and, you know, unique in their own way. And they all have, they all deserve to, <laughs> to be heard and feel seen and just feel special period. So it really is not like, it's not an overproduced show. It's, I just hit the record button on a zoom call and see where the conversation goes. I don't have any like questions in advance. Most of these kids I've never spoken to till that moment. And that's what I, I love the spontaneity, spontaneity of it and just kind of that raw feel to well, they're it. Excited. Um, they're, they're so excited. Yeah, You're great with them. I, I just You're great with them. Great. Thank you. I absolutely love it. And uh, I have two 18 year olds, two freshmen at Penn State that are helping me with it. And they helped me rebrand and they did a logo for me and they're managing my Instagram page. So I love that I have actual, um, you know, teens helping me with it as well. So it's, it's, I'm trying to lead by example, where if I'm trying to empower our kids, then what better way to do it than have them actually help me with this? Well, and have and, uh, social it. proof be your friend because kids will listen to other kids. They yeah. won't listen to you and me doing a lecture on yeah. mental health. But if another yeah. eight-year-old 
talks about their anxiety or talks about their uh, their challenges on social media, maybe their imposter syndrome, gaslight. You know, they don't know what the terms are, but they know what they mean. Um, I think kids are more likely to say, hey, you know, there's another nine-year-old in Iowa that has the same concern I have. That's pretty cool, you know. And yeah. now on your on your site, can kids communicate with each other? Um, well, that's where Rock Vision comes in, where we want to eventually like re kind of you know get Rock Vision back off of the ground, which was having interactive rock rooms okay. where we would have an adult facilitate, kind of moderate in the sense like they'd come in and talk about different topics, but in a fun way. And you would have the kids in there and they'd be able to interact and um, also kind of learn at the same time and be inspired and have fun. So that's where Rock Vision comes in. But that's um, just like you said, it's it's getting the peers to kind of see the value in it. And yeah, I mean, when it comes to, to getting kids' attention, it is it is difficult because we're competing with things like TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and video games and all of those things. So it's just trying to figure it out. Um, but I'm going to continue to do what I can, control what I can control. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you okay. know, just kind of see where it goes from there. I don't really have any, like, huge you know, a huge vision of what this is going to be. I just know that I love doing it and it's really fulfills me in a way that I feel like I found my purpose. (laughs) Well, purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. Yes. That's my quote. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have a raving fan out in Iowa now, so I'm going to do all I can to support you. Uh, (laughs) I think what you're doing is awesome. I'd like to see more resources and attention and focus on the next generation of alcoholics and addicts, which is our children, you know? Um, so again, very grateful to have met you and appreciate the time you've taken on the show. How can people reach out to you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, all under my name. Um, so that's kind of the best way, or I guess you can email me, um, R O C K U H T at (laughs) gmail.com. If you want to email me as well, but it seems like everyone either has Instagram or LinkedIn these days. So <laughs> they usually reach out on, you know, through there. And we'll have all your information when we post this uh, on yeah. the show. So thanks for being on the show. And uh, I look forward to uh, collaborating with you further.